Hello and welcome to The District. I am The Spectator's US Managing Editor, Matt McDonald, and today I am joined by our editor-at-large, Ben Dominic. We will be discussing the question, is this the end of the golden age of television? Hello, Ben. Hello, Matt. Great to be with you. Is it? <laughs> well, uh, I think it unfortunately is. You know, we, we have lived through an incredible time as TV viewers over the past uh, several decades. And, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, you know, we have reached a point now where there is a true ending in sight. And look, you know, you can define this new golden era of television however you would like it, but I think most people would say that the launch of The Sopranos on HBO is typically thought of as being the starting point of this new golden age of television, a higher quality, a higher level of writing, of acting, and of production that went into television over the course of the past two decades. And I think that you know we are now, with the ending of Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad spinoff, which has been uh, in its own right a very impressive uh, TV show, uh, you're seeing kind of a natural end to a two-decade phase of TV that included some really impressive moments and uh, and really came to elevate TV to a level that had previously uh, not been enjoyed in terms of uh, its impact on American culture. Uh, and we can you know, talk about the different shows that kind of fall into that category. But I think that above all, what we have to respect is that you know, this was an era in which uh, TV came to surpass movies in a lot of ways. Uh, it came to you know elevate it to a level where you know, people were willing to uh, go into the television marketplace in a way that had been uh, you know previously thought of as being downscale, as being you know uh, not something that you know people would do unless they were on the the you know downwind of their careers. Uh, and instead, you know, television became something that was, on the level of uh, certainly uh, movies and all of the different things that were coming out of Hollywood, in a ways that had not, in a way that had not been previously enjoyed. So, look, you know, I personally think this is the ending. I think that this is, uh, you know, a, a fitting wrap up to a period of incredible work. But I do think that this, you know, uh, effectively changed the way that a lot of people think of TV and uh, put it in a position where it has the command of American audiences in a way that it did not previously. So it's a, it's a, as you mentioned, it's a curious weekend in particular. I think there are, there are three factors you've, hit, you've touched on one, which kind of mean that today's the right day to ask the question about the golden age of television. One, as you say, is the Better Call Saul finale, which is set to air tonight. The second is, I mean, yesterday evening, you had the end of Westworld. It's fourth mm -hmm. season, but it it wrapped up in a way which could be, you know, a series finale rather than just a season. And then today, news emerged out of Warner Brothers, the HBO, I think it's HBO Max is going to be laying off 14% of its staff which uh, comes as part of its, I think, the HBO Max and Discovery Plus, I believe, uh, merging. So we've got this, um, it, as far as the last you know, 20, quarter of a century, basically, has, has gone in, in terms of like, the business side of television, how this goes. Obviously, 
I think you're right to mark the the start of this era with HBO and The Sopranos, and then for the five or six years after that, and maybe the, you know, even the first ten years following that, these prestige dramas are being produced by you know cable movie channels, effectively. Like it's AMC, it's Showtime, and HBO. And obviously, one of the major changes technologically in that twenty year period has been accessibility to the internet. Into the internet, you know, superseding cable is the the manner by which people uh, watch these. And then also the advent of streaming apps, you know, first with the success of Netflix. And now there are literally 10, maybe 20, 30, 40. I lose count of how many streaming apps there are now. What with, <laughs> as we said, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Amazon, you know, Apple TV Plus. What um what impact do you think you, the, the, like that kind of technological shift has had with regards to both you know production the producing of these shows and then like whether like do you think that that's a, a factor in, in the downfall uh, i think it's absolutely been a factor i mean one of the things that we you know should consider about this current climate is that you know you you think of uh the movie making atmosphere as being you know one for them and one for you meaning that you know creative types get to, you know, make a massive, you know, big budget movie, uh, and then they get to make their their smaller, their you know, the, the movie that they want to make. That's something that used to happen in Hollywood, and it's obviously something that continues to happen. But when it came to the era of streaming, that really created uh, new uh, situations where things were getting made that never would have been made before. You know, you think, uh, just to uh, select one example of this, uh, Noah Hawley uh, uh, is a very creative uh, director, uh, someone who has obviously, you know, had a a weird run in terms of his creative opportunities. But the success of him making a uh, a bridge sort of uh, spinoff TV series based on the Coen Brothers Fargo uh, was one that allowed him to then go and make a, a series about his favorite random X-Men character in Legion that was, you know, ran for several seasons, had some, you know, incredible acting in it and, uh, and, you know, high quality production budget and that kind of thing. And so you saw over and over again, you know, these, these creators who were able to take something that they had sold and then use it as a basis uh, for a new thing that never would have gotten made. I mean, we're talking at the end of the, of the run of Better Call Saul, it's impossible to think about a situation where Vince Gilligan would have been able to sell, you know, I'm going to have a, a Bob Odenkirk style vehicle that is going to be about a uh, corrupt legal uh, actor, you know, a lawyer who, you know, uh, works for all these different terrible criminals and has a terrible relationship with his uh, brother and, you know, is in this feud with his firm and, uh, you know, has this weird relationship. Uh, he never would have been able to sell that, but he was able to sell it because of the success of Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, and I think that when you look back at this golden age of, t of television, what you see is a, a period in which you had enormous power invested uh, in these creative minds in order to bring to the screen a, a number of different stories that they were invested in, that they cared a great deal about, and that they perhaps never would have been able to make in an era in which, uh, you know, uh, shows got canceled so quickly. Look, you know, the 
it's it's kind of forgotten but the, the fact is that that you had you know uh, in in an older era of television uh, you had a lot of spin-offs that got canceled very quickly and one of them obviously was uh, you know the the spin-offs from major successful programs and one of them you know uh, i think that people are very well aware of is you know frasier uh, a spin-off of, of the show cheers it wasn't the first spinoff. There was another one that was that was a total failure that they, they tried to launch and then and didn't work. And one of the things that I think that we have lived through is the period in which these creative geniuses who have been behind some of the most incredible television of the last you know couple of decades have been able to have that permission slip from the different studios and the different uh, streaming networks to basically you know, invest in these different characters that they were in love with and bring them to bear in ways that, you know, we really didn't have before. And I think that that's been uh, a great benefit to the viewing public. I'm glad you mentioned both Legion and Fargo because uh, I think I, I love both those shows as well. One of the interesting things to me about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul in particular is the the way that it kind of has served as a mainstreaming, like the, the mainstreaming of certain like art house techniques for example, there are shots in that show which are so long and in those both those shows which are so long and drawn out that they would never have like made the cut back in the days of network television, right? You know, I think you know, I think of you know, oh, like the cold opens uh, in Breaking Bad where they would spend a lot of time going very slowly over the scene of what ended up being you know an uh, air crash outside Walter White's mm -hmm. house. There are those kind of uh, strange influences where I think, I th and you're right to, I'd say, bring up genius in, in this, because I think that that's a, a perfect and apt term to use to describe Vince Gilligan. One thing I wonder is, when you have got that, like when you've got the kind of ability to like make a excellent, like at least one excellent film or television show, surely it's now easier than ever to get something made if you have an idea for a series. And you like once you basically broken into Hollywood and broken into that actor system in in that respect if that's true which I which I think it it might well be then surely we're like it's more of an evolving of the this age of television rather than an ending of it mm -hmm. well that's that's one thing that I think we have to consider as a very real possibility which is that you know there's a desperation on the part of Hollywood in the era of of superhero movies Marvel movies and the like to find someone anyone who has an alternate IP, something that they can latch into. I mean, if you want to talk about sort of the, the downside of the golden era of television of this, uh, of this, you know, past couple decade run, you know, you could look to a series like the Romanoffs, uh, a, you know, series that ran, uh, you know, funded by Amazon that, had a monstrous budget. I mean, it was gigantic. Uh, it I can't remember the the you know the stat off the top of my head, but the point is that it was a movie level budget for a miniseries that was uh, directed by and led by the creative force of, of Matt Wiener, who was obviously coming off of Mad Men, uh, and had an incredible cast in terms of the people who were participating in it. If you look back at that series. They're basically two episodes that are watchable television. <laughs> you know, everything else is just a mess. And it's, 
you know, it's uh, you kind of get the feeling that it's like, did Matt Wiener make this because he wanted to vacation in all of the places that they're you know filming this in? It was very disappointing and obviously didn't make the kind of impact that uh, Amazon had hoped it would. You know, they may be going down that same road right now with their Rings of Power series based on, uh, you know, the ephemeral kind of stuff from Lord of the Rings. And it's it's one of these things where, you know, they, they're they desperate for any kind of, uh, you know, material that can bring people in. They're willing to spend a lot of money on it. And that, you know, may end up being, you know, stuff that ends up being garbage. You know, the, the kind of stuff that they produce at this point, you know, they've, uh, they've had a number of different runs at it, you know, has mostly been garbage. Unfortunately, you know, for them, I think that they, you know, have a situation where they've got so much money that they don't know what to do with it. And uh, there are a lot of uh, people out there who are you know, more than willing to take it, but they don't have the uh, the kind of IP or the kind of stories to tell that will actually make an impact on a paying audience. You know, one thing that I think we should respect about this is that the golden age of, of television uh, has been, you know, however you define it, it's been very uneven in terms of the, the you know, uh, the quality of the stories that were being told. Uh, there are lots of places, uh, lots of lists and, and articles that would include, you know, series like Lost within uh, the uh, golden age of television. Uh, from my perspective, Lost tells a story that is ultimately uh, very unsatisfying and doesn't actually you know, deliver to its audience. You can pick, you know, have your pick of a lot of different other series that were made during this time. But the the standout, if you're, you know, stepping back from it, have been ones that told great stories and told them with high quality acting, high quality production. Uh, and those are all things that I think we can respect in their, the kind of TV shows that people return to and that they rewatch because they have a, a very real impact. Yeah. Given uh, that, I think one aspect we haven't talked about here is as to why the last 25 years have been so good for shows of this nature is obviously, you know, The Sopranos launched in, I think, 99, but then obviously it, the era of its peak in popularity was this kind of 9-11 and immediately post 9-11 era where a lot of people in the West, in, you know, the, the US and Britain and Europe, started to want to dial out from, I think, a fairly depressing news cycle. And I wonder how much of a factor you think that is in the, the need, you know, an increased demand for this for escapism uh, produces more excellent shows like, you know, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, even Rome, which I think deserved a fair shot. Um, do you think that's a factor too? I do. And I think that there's, you know, a very much a development that happens where people were craving television that could be high quality enough for them to remove themselves from the time that we were living in. Uh, I think that that's uh, very much you know, a, a factor here. You know, look, it, you listed a couple of different shows there. You know, one that I think is certainly on the, the Mount Rushmore of, of uh, Golden Era TV is Mad Men, which is an incredibly well-written show, uh, you know, nostalgia bait in a certain way, but also something that I think you know, came out of nowhere in terms of surprising people. But one one thing that, you know, is true of most of the shows that come through this era is that they tend to be led by anti-heroes. You know, they have a lot of, of people who are you know, major figures in the show, whether it's Tony Soprano, whether it's Walter White, 
you know, whether it's the various characters who are in the wire, you know, you can look to these various figures and sort of say they're either corrupted or they are compromised in some respect. They're trying to be the balance of good and evil. And I think that that's something that is a, a very real development and one that probably was not possible in an era in which you know, most of the major shows were led by heroes or were led by people who you know, were, you know, had more of that black and white kind of attitude about them. They were serial shows and the like. Uh, and, and so to, to kind of go against that was, you know, really a, a big step. I mean, even in, you know, I wouldn't describe uh, a show like House as being something that was part of the golden era of TV. But even in a show like that, you take a major figure and you basically say, you know, what if Sherlock Holmes was kind of a dick <laughs> and, and we're going to put him in a hospital and he's going to figure out medical mysteries? You know, it's, it's one of these things where I think the, the general attitude of the American people became more open to having major figures who were defining their times, uh, who were either antiheroes or were... Uh, you know, people we could root for despite their flaws, you know, and, uh, and again, you know, I would not consider this part of the, uh, you know, pantheon of golden age TV, but it's no accident that we have, you know, Jack Bauer and the 24 series emerge, you know, during the era of the post 9-11 period where it's like, yeah, you know, I kind of want a hero who's willing to torture somebody. And if he needs to, you know, strap somebody to a car battery in order to save a thousand people from dying from a bomb, I'm okay with that. <laughs> with, a, with many of these shows, I think also it would be remiss to not mention that Twin Peaks walked so they could run. And a, a lot yes, of, right? yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, like a, that canceled show in the early, well, I mean, the, when I was born is when that show came out. But that had... It was so weird and esoteric and brilliant and was like the first really like this proto example of like a, a movie director crossing over into television and being given like some money and some influence. And then I think it was in some respects, it was the unre the unrealized dreams of that show, which, you know, 10 years later, the, or many of these other shows. Well, I mean, one of the big things one of the things that we should respect about this moment, for instance, is that, you know, Jordan Peele's latest movie just came out, you know, Nope. And it is essentially a Twilight Zone show as a movie. And what you kind of see in a lot of these things is creative types who are a little bit younger than the boomers, uh, you know, getting a shot at making their own cultural, you know, uh, signals and their, and their cultural notes. And a lot of it is influenced by, you know, the things that they saw that were out of step with maybe the the boomer presented television they were slightly different they were slightly at odds so when you see you know someone like peel being a creator you know i mean i think uh i don't know his age off the top of my head but i think it was a, a young xer or, or an old millennial um you know he's someone who you know is bringing to bear a uh, a twilight zone kind of focus you know he obviously was the, the producer of the the uh, attempted and failed reboot of the of the series itself, you know, but you see in Get Out, in Us, and in Nope, you know, kind of this, you know, I, I want to take a slightly different view of these things, a slightly skewed view of the way that we live. And I think that that's true of a lot of different, uh, you know, Golden Era TV programs. It's, it's saying we're going to approach this in a slightly different way. 
Uh, so, you know, The Wire is a very good example of that. You know, it's a show that could have been told as just your normal procedural, you know, something that could have been, you know, uh, probably a, a fairly successful approach to talking about crime in Baltimore. Uh, but instead, they take a very different angle to it, and you end up with figures who are incredible. Um, Omar is one of the greatest figures of golden era TV, I would say, you know, and, and that I think is uh, something that is, is very beneficial. And the, the only concern that I have is that, you know, we've been through this great era. I wonder if we're going to be able to continue it because I'm not sure that we will. I feel like the, the corporate powers that be, uh, are going to want television that maybe returns to a basic standard or a basic kind of framework, uh, doesn't have the level of, of creative freedom and weirdness about it. I, I think, for example, just to give you a, a, you know, a show that, that probably existed outside of time, but it's um, uh, Solar Opposites, which is a spinoff kind of show that uh, is on Hulu and is uh, stars Justin Roiland, who's the main voice from the uh, Rick and Morty series. It's a very weird show. It has this weird kind of running uh, storyline uh, that that takes you through it. And uh, it's odd. It just ran through its, I believe, third season. And uh, and I watched it. and It was interesting. But I look at something like that and I sort of say, you know, this, this show seems too weird to be backed by uh, you know, any kind of big major force. I wonder if it'll go away. And I think that there might be a return to a maybe more standard approach to television making based on dollars and cents and based on, you know, um, major staying power and, you know, uh, actors who are recognizable from their times in Hollywood and the like, because I'm not sure we're going to get this kind of weirdness, beneficial weirdness again. Maybe. I don't know. I think there's a space for weirdness now, given how big the market is. Like, I think of BoJack Horseman as one of the best shows of the last 10 years. You know, I had a chance to meet Michael Eisner, actually, at the uh, Aspen Ideas Festival a couple of years ago. And uh, I had made mention of BoJack Horseman in my uh, presentation on the stage uh, at Aspen. And I was talking about how it, it was totally unrelated, but it was just sort of storyline that they had run through. And I came off the stage and he introduced himself and he said, I'm shocked that you watch BoJack Horseman. And I, and I said to him, oh, what are you talking about? You know, this is, this is a, it's a great show. You know, it's like, it's like, what, why are you, why are you surprised by that? And he said, well, you know, I just think of it as a show for, for liberals. And, and I said, well, you know, I mean, I think it's a show for, for anybody who's interested in good TV, you know, but, but I do think that there is some kind of, categorization that these uh, Hollywood types have for this is the kind of person who watches this show. And, uh, and I think that that's unfortunate. Um, I think, you know, there, there, there are probably just as many conservatives who watched Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as there are liberals. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great show. It's entertaining. It's interesting, you know. But at the same time, I think that there's, there's these assumptions that sort of take hold about the kind of person who likes certain things that are uh, unfortunate. You know, the idea being that, like, well, conservatives, they're watching NCIS and, uh, and you know, these, these kind of procedural shows uh, and, and these other shows, they're for liberals. When, you know, you look at a show like Yellowstone, which no one had, you know, maybe thought was going to be as success successful as it is, Yellowstone is a major 
show in terms of its ratings across the country, meaning that it's not just you know a major show in Dallas. It's not just a major show in uh, in Red America. It's a major show that you know is in L.A. and is in you know New York. And what that tells you is it has the kind of appeal that reaches out beyond any kind of political restrictions and actually you know has resonance uh, with people who just you know want to watch a, a a good Western crime show regardless of their politics. It's, it's transcendent in a way that succession isn't in, in some respects. Yeah, you've uh, you've brought us back to where we started, which I think is a lovely place for me to ask the last my last question. <laughs> Which well, I think we've we've done pretty well, pretty well to not give away any spoilers of major shows, and so let's just ruin that with the last question. By the time this is published, uh, you'll be correct or wrong. How do you think Vesicle Saul is going to end? You know, uh, you're, you're asking me this question, and it's literally something that I've been debating with my friend group for the past year. <laughs> I here's what I think. I think that Walter died, and Jesse got away. So I think that Gil, Saul, Jimmy has to be between those two things. I don't think he can get away. Um, I don't think he's going to die. But I do think that he is going to have some consequences for what he's done. I will say that I love seeing Jimmy McGill in front of a courtroom, you know, just taking people apart. Uh, and so I feel like there's, there's probably going to be a little bit of that if there's any fan service to the ending. But one thing that I would just point out to you is that, you know, most of these shows, you know, with the exception, of course, of the uh, very controversial ending of Sopranos, you know, most of these shows uh, have ended with some kind of feeling of catharsis, some kind of feeling of freedom on the part of their major characters. You certainly, you know, saw that with Don Draper, you know, finding his way, you know, not to an ending of, of jumping off of a building, but actually to writing the greatest, you know, TV ad that most people think exists. And I think that, you know, you look at these these shows and you basically say uh, they, they are seeking a moment of catharsis. And so we'll see if they find that within the universe of, of Saul Goodman. But, you know, one thing I, I have to say is that, you know, regardless of what you think of these shows, you know, the, the contrast of having a spinoff within the golden era that is very different but that succeeds on its own merits is pretty incredible i mean you know the the idea that you would have a show like breaking bad and a show like better call Saul that take place with the same universe but are very different have different attributes to them and uh nonetheless you know can please an audience is is pretty amazing i'm so grateful that uh, we had this opportunity to see a different side of Bob Odenkirk, who is, I think, an incredible actor and someone who, you know, is, uh, you know, very much do the kind of plaudits uh, that he's received in the last couple of months. Look, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy to have been around for all of this. The one thing I will say is that if you're, if you're going to look back at the kind of shows that came before the golden era that had a similar level of quality, a similar level of, of uh, achievement, then I would look back at a show called Homicide about the, the uh, you know, uh, cops that were trying to protect Baltimore. It produced a m- number of that guys. It has, uh, you know, a fond place in my heart. And it's one of these things that kind of, it walked so that all of these places, all of these other shows could run. 
I uh, I think Walt Jr. kills him. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> on that note, uh, Ben Dominic, thanks so much for your uh, time, and uh, I'm looking forward to tuning in later. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.